Matthew chapter 16. The past several weeks we've been talking about the topic of I Love Sundays. And we've been addressing the idea that Sundays should be a time of resting, a time of refocusing, a time of rejuvenating, a time of connection with you, with, your, with God and with um, the body of Christ, your church family and with your family. And uh, today we want to continue on that thought process with this idea that Sundays have the potential and can change your world. I want to make a bold statement today. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, God's Sunday people, have done more good for this world than any other group in history. I think I'll be able to back that up for you this morning. I've always been impressed by historians and history, and I, I, I know a lot of people don't like history. I, I, I do. I, I like history. I like knowing different things about different folks, and I, I think about people like Charlemagne. Maybe you may not recognize that name, but he was a king, and he decided that every child in his empire should learn to read. And so he created the first public education system. Somebody that saw something in the future, he was future-minded and future-thinking, and came up with the idea of how to shape the world in a positive way. In our own country, there's a, a man by the name of Patrick Henry. Everybody ever, ever heard that name, Patrick Henry? Patrick Henry was someone who coined the phrase, give me liberty or give me death. He was someone who thought that liberty was more precious to him than life itself. Here's a name that most everyone will recognize, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was one who led the United States through the Civil War, and he ended the tyranny of slavery. The ability to imagine a better future and then to help create it is a gift. And when people use that the correct way and they give that, it's a great gift to other people. History is full of people, but there's no greater person in the annals of time than that of Jesus. Here's a man who, he's closing his life out on earth as we pick up in Matthew chapter 16. He's at Caesarea Philippi. If you know anything about Caesarea Philippi, you know that it's a fairly rocky area, rocky terrain. And he's having this, I picture this as being a, a camp meeting moment with his disciples. Would you pick it up here as we read in verse 13? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not over. 
comments. Father, today I, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, this morning that you would help us to understand that in us, when we live and we walk and we have life in you, that you give us the power to change the world. Help us to see that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You look at this, this passage of Scripture, and, and in this moment, Jesus is changing Peter's name. He, he's, not no, he's no longer referred to as Simon, but he adds Peter to that. Peter, um, the name that he uses here is actually called Petros. You know what Petros means? It means small rock. It's like little pebble. It's like little piece of gravel in your driveway kind of rock. But then Jesus makes this proclamation afterward, and it's a different Greek word that he uses here. He says, for you are Peter, and on this rock, that's a different term for rock, that one is called Petra. Petra means foundational, big, huge, awesome, you can anchor yourself to it rock. And on that, I will build my church. He wasn't going to build the church on Peter because Peter's little rock wasn't going to have the capacity to be able to hold that. But the proclamation of what Peter said is what he was going to build his church on. That he was the Messiah. He was the Son of the living God. He was Jesus Christ. The hope of glory. If you had been hiding in a bush that day and you overheard these words, you probably would have been tempted to think that Jesus was delusional. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Here are 12 guys who are not educated in the ways of the religious leaders. Here are 12 guys who are probably young men. Um, when I say young men, they're probably somewhere around teenage years. So Jesus was the first youth pastor. And he's got this group of 12 guys, and he tells them this, upon this rock I will build my church upon your declaration. And to think that he could use these 12 guys to um, bring about this amazing thought process, this amazing kingdom is, ama is beyond belief. If somebody could take one rabbi, could take 12 possible teenagers and establish the world's greatest organization is amazing. Add to that the fact that he was just about getting ready to die at the hands of the Romans just a few months later, and the odds of that happening become near impossible. But yet, the church of Jesus Christ has improved our world more than any entity on earth. Let's look at some of the history behind this a little bit. If you look at Acts chapter 2, Jesus he taught his followers to love their neighbors as themselves. And so in Acts chapter 2, you get this thought process a few weeks after the church is born. It says all believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
He taught his, this, his followers to care for the hungry. Acts 4, 34 and 35. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Jesus, the followers of Christ, spread to other parts of the world rapidly. They went from Syria, uh, Israel to Syria. They started a church in Antioch. Listen to what the community was like in Antioch before Christians arrived. This is found from a, a, a historian. His name is Rodney Stark, and the book is entitled The Rise of Christianity. I thought this was interesting. He said, Antioch was a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair, and hatred, a city where the average family lived a squalid life of, in filthy and cramped quarters, where at least half of the children died at birth or during infancy, and where most of the children who lived lost at least one parent before reaching maturity, a city filled with hatred and fear rooted in intense ethnic antagonisms. Now listen to what happened when the Sunday people showed up. Once Christianity appeared, its superior capacity for meeting those chronic problems soon became evident and played a major role in its ultimate triumph. Antioch went from being a city that was distraught and downtrodden and not even barely functioning to one that was very much a centerpiece in Syria. There was another emperor. His name was Emperor Julian, right around 362 A.D. He and his pagan friends decided that they were going to in, in, uh, imitate. That's the word I'm looking for. They were going to imitate what the Christian church was trying to do. And so they decided that they were going to bandage people up. They were going to take care of them. They were going to uh, um, have benevolence towards strangers. Because, you see, Julian was, Emperor Julian was bothered because so many people were converting to Christianity because of the loving acts of the Christians. I wonder what would happen today if people would try to do other things because the church is so amazing and caring and loving that they would try to imitate it because it's just that cool. Can I, needless to say, his efforts failed miserably because there was no motivation for people to speak or do anything into the lives of others. But you see, as believers, that's what Jesus taught us to do. If you will allow it, the power of God will change your world. Check this out. On the Sunday Jesus rises from the dead, he joins his disciples in the upper room. He trains them for 40 days. He ascends into heaven. The day of Pentecost comes, and Pentecost Sunday arises. The Holy Spirit comes down, and the church is born. Sunday became known as the Lord's Day. You can find that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And as Christians would huddle on Sundays, they grew in faith, and then they went out and they served in their community. There's a, a pattern here I want us to grasp 
and see that whenever we accept Christ and God wants to do something in us, the pattern here is once Christ fully comes into your life, it is the byproduct that you want to go out and touch and reach and minister and love other people. And that's how you change your world. That's how things look different. You know, that story has been repeated throughout history of people who are willing to change their world. If you take an art history or music class, which I got to be honest, I took an art history class when I was in middle school. It was forced on us. I did not like art history class. I can't tell you the difference between a Manet, a Picasso, or just somebody down the street painting a picture. I, I, I don't know the difference. I don't know a whole lot about the art history thought processes, but one thing I do know is there have been some of the most best and famous pieces were painted or composed by Christian people. People that have had been with Jesus are some of the ones who have composed some of the greatest music throughout history. A few minutes ago, I brought up some impressive people Charlemagne, Charlemagne was um, motivated to create public schools so that he could teach people to read because he wanted everybody in his empire to be able to read the Bible. That's why. Patrick Henry made that proclamation, give me liberty or give me death, standing in a church in Richmond, Virginia. Abraham Lincoln was known to be a committed Christ follower. 2,000 years ago, Jesus announced that nothing was going to stop him from building the church, and nothing has. Today, the church, is, uh, uh, the church with a capital C entity is over 2.3 billion people who claim Jesus. But how many of you know history isn't over? Let me just kind of give you a little bit of some futuristic things. Can we do that for just a minute? Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Let me give you just a, a little bit of a, a forecast here of what's going to take place. It depicts a future when Jesus will be married to his people. Revelation 19, verse 6, says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. In other words, the song we sang earlier, We shall see the King, is a very much a reality. Forever to be with Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That gets you excited. That's a forecast of things to come. But let me also read one other passage that happens. 
It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and it's a parable that Jesus gives. This is an important lesson. I don't want us to miss this. My, my copy of the scripture calls it the parable of the bags of gold. Yours may call it the parable of the talents. It said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two bags, two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the, one, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you do not, have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I have harvest where I do not, have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would at least receive, I would receive back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags Whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when they have, will be taken from them and thrown that worthless, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, there's coming a day, and we talked about that earlier, when Christ will come, and there's coming a day when we will see Jesus face to face. And he'll tell you what he thinks of your efforts about that you've put forward in advancing the kingdom of God. According to this parable, some will receive and hear the words, well done. And to those who hear that will be given good rewards. And those who serve themselves instead of the king will hear you wicked, lazy servants. The question here that I believe will be asked is this, what have you done with what I've given you? What have you done with what I've given you? I know that all of us in this room, we want to hear those, those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into your rest. Well done. You've done well. You've done good. None of us want to hear the other. And so today, I challenge us with that thought. I want to be ready. I want to be dressed. I want to be doing the things that God's called me to do. So what, what's the application? What's the take home from this today? I believe I've got a couple things that I want us to look at. 
Number one is this. It's important for us to take our place in history. Take our place in history. In Exodus chapter 4, there's a study of a man, and this man's name was Moses. Moses, in chapter 3, had seen this burning bush. It was amazing, the most amazing thing he'd seen, because this bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. It's not like my steak that I burn on the grill. It's consumed and terrible. This bush was not being consumed. It was just it was just on fire. It's amazing. And the Lord speaks to Moses out of the bush, and, and what he tells him is he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to tell the Pharaoh that I said to let my people go. And uh, Moses had, had a track record in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian master, slave master, so he was afraid there might be a price on his head, I'm sure. And the crazy thing is, is that Moses in chapter 4, when we read this, Moses comes up to God, and, and it basically he, he says this. He says, well, what do I do when they don't believe me? What if they say, what if they don't believe? What if they don't listen? And God asked him a question, and I think God is asking us today. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? It's in your hand. Now, this stick is probably a whole lot, this shepherd's staff is probably a whole lot more glamorous than the one Moses had. This was made by my good friend, Jerry Dyer. He made this and gave this to me. I treasure it. Moses' stick was probably not this nice. It probably had this kind of look to it, though, with the shepherd's staff. And God said, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. Just a staff. And God says, throw it down. And so Moses throws it down. I'm not throwing this one down. <laughs> Moses says, in, number one, I don't want to break it. Number two, I don't want it to turn into a snake. <laughs> Just kidding. So he throws it down and it becomes a snake. Moses is afraid of the snake. He runs to hide from the snake. And God says, pick up the end. And so he picks up the, the snake by the tail and it becomes a staff again. Moses continues on with so many different things. He says, man, I, I don't speak well. God tells him another thing. If they don't believe the stack, put your hand in your cloak. He pulls it out. It's leprous. Puts it back in. It's healed. Moses sees all of these great things that God has said he would do. But then he comes up with the, the, the other one. and says, I, I can't even speak, God. I'm not even a very good speaker. And then God gets angry with Moses. And he lets him take Aaron with him to be a, a mouthpiece. The point of all of this, that my thought process is going today, take your place in history. God is asking us today, what do you got in your hand? What have you got that you can use for me? What have you got that you would be willing to sacrifice and throw down so that I could use it? And so many times, we'll do what Moses says, we'll throw it, did, and we'll throw it down, but then we get afraid. Like, God, I can't. 
Moses would never have had a place in history. Moses' life would have ended in Exodus chapter 4. You would have never heard one other thing about Moses had he not decided that he was going to take his place in history and do what God asked him to do. He was going to make an impact. His life would have ended probably right after Exodus chapter 4. But because of his obedience, he took the staff and he took Aaron and he went to Pharaoh. There's a, call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, if you will. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. And Moses is listed there. Along with other people. It's kind of like a hall of a heroes or a hall of faith, if you will. Those people didn't get there because they were just willing to just get by. They got there because they were willing to obey God and allow God to work through them to change the course of history. There's a song that, uh, it's a worship song. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not. It just says this, I want to be a history maker in this land. I want to be a statement of truth for all mankind. There's a song that I've, I heard. It was written back in the 90s. Um, so that dates everybody probably in the front row. It's written by a Christian group called For Him. And the, the premise of this song is this. I want to be a man that you can write about. I want to be a man that a thousand years from now that people could read about. I want to make history. You're part of something that is so much bigger than yourself. This idea of, of the church, even in Moses' life, this idea of leading a million people was so much bigger than what he could ever even think about or imagine. But with God's help, my scripture says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The church is God's only option for evangelizing the world. Did you know that? You are God's only option. There is no plan B. It's up to us. He's given us one thing to do. Go and preach. Go and tell. Go and be. Go and love. That's what we've called to do. There's no other option be a history maker. It's up to us. Number two is this. I encourage you to serve. Get involved. Get involved and serve. What are you passionate about? What are those talents? What are those things that God's given you? What are those abilities that he's given you? Use them. Serve. Volunteer for ministries. Get involved. Not just in the church, but get involved in doing things for the Lord. And we have uh, some pictures here I want to show. These are folks that, i got to be honest, I'm up, you, you can't really see me. I'm the dude with the yellow hat with the rake on the roof, which if you know anything about rakes on the roof, that's not supposed to happen. So what does that tell you about my roofing experience? Right? 
But there are other guys that have that volunteered and, and ladies that volunteered to be a part of, of that day where we were able to put a new roof on for someone in, in our community that needed one desperately. And because of the willingness just to say yes and to serve and to use those abilities and talents and, and those things, that even, even if you don't even know what you're doing, you can still do something. The idea to serve. We did that last Friday and Saturday. Not yesterday, but the week before. What an awesome thing to make an impact in the life of someone. Just serving. I would probably guess that there are several things in here that you could do for other people. This is just one. But the question is, are we willing to do that? I think the devil keeps us so busy and so preoccupied with our own schedules that we forget the fact that we are put here to serve people. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I've got to run to this. I've got to go here. I've got this practice. I've got this appointment. I've got this agenda. I've got this going on. And man, at the end of the day, I'm just beat. Well, yeah, because you've scheduled the things that are priority to you. All I'm asking is, is there somewhere in those schedules of agenda where you could put serving other people? Just a thought. Serving. Finally, is this. Reach, reach out. Reach out. Part of serving and reach out kind of go together. Go beyond the walls of the church to make a difference in your community, in your state, in your nation, and around the world. Can I encourage you to dream big? I think that's a little bit of the problem with the church of Jesus Christ today is that we don't dream big enough. We don't think big enough. And what do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean by that is this. We have a Moses mentality. I can't. I can't do that. There's no way that I can even come close to leading these people, God. That's crazy. There's a saying that goes this, success comes in cans, not can'ts. Are you willing? God doesn't look for people who are the most qualified. He doesn't look for the people that are the most talented. He doesn't look for the people who have all of it, what seems to be together. He looks for people he can use. People who will say yes, people who will be obedient, people who will do what he wants them to do. That's who God uses. And so I ask you the question, will you be the one that can change your world? Bow your heads, please. Father, today I thank you. God, what an awesome day it's been with you and in your presence. What an awesome day it's been, God, as we have experienced you in such an awesome way. But God, I know that when we come to church, coming to church is an awesome thing because it allows us to focus, it allows us to re-energize, it allows us to be together with our church family, and there's power, and there's anointing, and there's just an awesome, God, just love and appreciation in that. And God, I thank you for my church family. 
God, I pray right now for an anointing of God that would be placed upon us that we could change, that we could impact and change our world. God, I pray that you would speak to us in ways that we can do that. Hallelujah. I invite you this morning, would you just stand to your feet? We're going to close in prayer. And as we get ready to close this service, this part of the service this morning, I want to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to say a prayer, but as I'm saying this prayer, would you, as we pray, just lift your hands to the Lord as if to say, God, here am I. Whatever you want me to do, if this is what you mean, if you mean this with your heart, just lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, as we pray, God, here am I. I want to be used by you. I don't have everything together. I don't even have talents or abilities, but God, whatever I do have, I give you. Because Lord, I know that you're calling the church to change the world. God, today I pray right now for those, God, that have their hands up, and even Lord, those that don't, because Lord, I, I know that there are still those that are afraid of that, God, that thought process. God, today I pray as we raise our hands to you as an act of surrendering of our lives, God, I pray that you would move in us God, I pray that you would use us. I read throughout Scripture of just ordinary people, God, that you take and you speak life into and you give direction to. And Lord, you use them to change circumstances. You use them to change community. You use them to change the world. And God, I'm not asking for, God, any kind of accolades. I'm not asking for any kind of applause or attaboys. But God, we just want you to be pleased with us. God, we want you, God, on the day when we stand before you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done what I've asked you to do. God, what you've asked us to do is to impact the world around us. So God, I pray as we raise our hands to you, Lord, that you would anoint us, that you would use us, and that we would see the power of God. Just like Moses saw the power of God when he went before Pharaoh, he saw that staff turn into a snake. He saw the leprous hand. He saw the plagues. He saw the Red Sea part. He saw water come from a rock. He saw manna in the morning and quail. He saw so many things because, Lord, he just had the the idea that he was going to take one step and trust you. And God, that's what you're calling us to do today. One step and trust you. To take our place in history. To serve. To serve you and to serve others. And God, to do what you've called us to do to reach out. I thank you, Lord, today. God, I pray, let the anointing of God be with us in Jesus' name. Bless our food this, this, uh, for brunch today as we partake and share fellowship together. May this be an awesome day of just sharing love and, and encouragement with the body. And bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one thing that, uh, before you head out of here, one thing that I believe When I became pastor here, God spoke something into my spirit that Byesville Assembly of God was going to be a world-changing church. A world-changing church. And I believe that today 
even more than I believe it then. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah.